0: Blog Talk Radio Evening y'all
1: Please take a seat on the couch
2: it's Monday, May 13th, 2013. I'm Vinny Bonmarini, and I welcome you to take a seat on the couch. If you love the blues, you should be a member of the Blues Foundation. If you're not, you need to go to www.blues.org today and become a member. Your sponsorship dollars help the Blues Foundation support blues in schools programs, bringing the blues to schools around the country. The Heart Fund, which assists blues musicians and their families in financial need. The Sound Healthcare Program. Providing medical benefits and insurance programs to professionals in the blues community. The holding of the International Blues Challenge and the Blues Music Awards. Generation Blues, giving scholarships to young men and women so that they can study their instruments and become more proficient. And the building of the Blues Hall of Fame at their headquarters here in Memphis at 421 South Main Street. It's time to help raise the roof. So if you love the blues, help support the organization that is keeping this great art form alive. The Blues Foundation at www.blues.org. Let's all help raise the roof. This segment of music on the couch is sponsored by Sunday Wild and her latest release, He Gave Me a Blue nightgown. The album reached number one on B.B. King's Bluesville Picks to Click and also on the global blues charts on Airplay Direct. He gave me a new he gave me a blue nightgown. Is a collection of 13 songs that stretch the boundaries of the blues, featuring the vocals and boogie piano of Sunday Wild. Pick up. He gave me a blue nightgown and be transported to the smoky juke joints of yore. Check out all things Sunday Wild and purchase. He gave me a blue nightgown as well as, as well as all the other Sunday Wild albums at www.sundaywild.com. That's S U N D A Y wilde.com. On May 17th and 18th in Charleston, West Virginia, the West Virginia Blues Society presents the 6th Annual Charlie West Blues Fest starring Anna Popovic and Kim Wilson and the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Two free days, 11 fantastic bands like Davina and the Vagabond, Southern Hospitality, Grand Marquis, and Mud Morganfield, all in support of the Wounded Warrior Project. Join 30,000 other blues lovers for two days of free music in Hatted Riverfront Park. And don't forget the great after jams and pub crawl. That's the great Charlie West Blues Fest 13. Check out all the details at www.charliewestbluesfest.com. at the top of the show we heard the title song from the album Double Dare from uh Frank Bang and the Secret Stash. Uh I am pleased to welcome in Frank this evening. I'm going to bring him in, but I just want to talk a little bit about this week here in Memphis. This past week here in Memphis, uh the Blues Music Awards were Thursday night. Uh Wednesday evening, uh I got to uh uh host the jam for the Blues Music uh Blues Memphis Blues Society, excuse me, Memphis Blues Society. Of which I'm a board member, Uh we had a a really great night. Uh, we raised some money for the for, for the uh, society uh, to help us continue to try to build on some programs that we're we're starting here in town, including uh, we w- would love to get the blues in schools program get get that back going, and a, and a number of other things. Uh, we had some people come in. Uh, Brad Hatfield sat in for a little while. Uh, Dave Fields came in for a little while. Paula Harris and the uh, uh, Her band Thank you Came in Beasts of the Blues. Thank you. That's the brain is now starting to wake up again. Don't laugh at me, Frank. I still can. I, I, you still are under my thumb. Um, so it was a great night. It was six hours straight. I mean, we started at seven and we ended at about one fifteen. And the only reason why we stopped is we just ran out of musicians. I mean, people were just people were just exhausted. No one wanted to play anymore. Uh, people had moved on, and uh, it was it was late. Uh, Thursday was the BMAs. And um uh as I, Frank and I were talking about Curtis Salgado, the man of the hour, uh that evening, um, taking home the album of the year and uh the Entertainer of the Year and uh just really was uh really wonderful. Um and uh Victor Wainwright being named Pine Top Perkins Piano Player of the Year Award made my night and kind of made me scream so loud that my throat got a little sore. So the next night when I was hosting, uh, I was emceeing Brandon Santini's uh, Beale Street Mess Around. Uh, by the end of the night, I had a real blues voice. Uh, if I had any nerve, I would have sung a song, but I can't sing worth a damn. But uh, as you can hear, it's still not coming back. Uh, but it was just such an honor to be able to introduce people like Mud Morganfield and Dennis Groomling and uh, 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 John John Nemeth onto the stage at the Boogie. And, Uh, It was, and we raised over $4,000 for the Raise the Roof Fund. Thank you to everyone who was there that night. Uh, There was a silent auction, um, and everything went great. And I actually, I was actually part of the silent auction, and we auctioned off the opportunity to co host the show um, and uh, be able to select the guests. And, um, and I went to look for the piece of paper tonight, and I can't find the piece of paper here at home, and I think it's in my office with the gentleman's name on it who who did win the win it. Uh, and I think I think I know who he's going to be, the people he's going to invite on the show, but I'll wait until uh, he and I talk. Uh, I know he's going to reach out to me. If you're listening, I'm sorry. I apologize. I just didn't bring it home with me. Um, if you're listening, tonight, call in right now, uh, 347-633-9400. Um, so it was a it was a wonderful wonderful evening uh, and and I do welcome Frank Bang onto the onto uh, the couch Frank thanks so much I appreciate you taking the time this evening
1: oh thanks for having me on the couch Vinny it sounds like uh, you're ready to stretch out on the couch after the week you had
2: yeah it was uh, a little bit tired you know and I, I you know no big deal but I had to work both of those days Uh my
1: really we <laughs> is that be, be careful using that work word because you know people are going to figure out that we really would do this even if we weren't working.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, you, know, I, you know, I've got one of those day jobs that you know pays the bills because this does, certainly doesn't. Uh, this is this is the passion, uh, just right, like right. just like the, the musicians music, musicians I speak with, um, you know. But it's your passion. Uh, you know and it, for a lot, and for a lot of you, you know, luckily it can become your uh, your vocation. Um, Frank, tell us just quickly, where were you born and raised?
1: Born in Chicago, Illinois, the Austin district, west side of the city. I grew up there until I was about 10, 11 years old, and my parents moved us about 60 miles outside of the city to McHenry, Illinois, a little farm town. And then as soon as I was uh, 18 years old, I moved back in the city and. Pretty much been back here my whole
2: life. Yeah, now, when you were uh, a young boy, um, you know, during that time before you moved out to the farm, uh, what kind of music were were your parents playing in the house, you know, when they were in charge of the the radio?
1: You know, what's funny is uh, a lot of different stuff, like a lot of Sinatra and a a lot of stuff like that, Ray Conniff and Tom Jones, but the one thing, you know, that they were really cool about was uh, that Blues Brothers soundtrack, you know, so, luckily... Luckily, before I even, uh, you know, really even saw the movie, uh, they were playing stuff from the, the the Blues Brothers Band on Saturday Night Live, so that kind of helped, you know, kind of like open my eyes to this music, even though it was, it was a little premature, I didn't discover it on my own two years later.
2: Yeah, now as you started to get, to, you know, as you started to get into your early teens, what was the music that was catching that you were listening to that, you know, had your attention?
1: You know, it, it, I cut some lawns for some neighbors and got paid, and I remember I was going to go buy some records. So I went to the record store, and I, I bought two records. I bought uh, an REO Speedwagon record, and I bought uh, ACDC's Back in Black, which had just came out. I remember going home, playing ACDC's Back in Black, and returning the REO Speedwagon record before I even listened to it. Because <laughs> I wanted to get some more ACDC, and I, I, I actually went back and bought uh I think, 30 deeps the next day because of the fact that I just uh, couldn't get enough of that ACDC at first.
2: There you go. That's that's interesting. Now, I I did read somewhere where your dad said he he wasn't too keen on you getting a guitar, but uh, I guess around the time you were 16, were able to get the money together to buy your first guitar and amp tell us about yeah that. you
1: know he apologizes uh adamantly for it now and he's one of my biggest fans and, and over the years i've been able to turn him on to all kinds of different guys from tinsley ellis to buddy guy to stevie ray to jimmy jimmy vaughn all, all kinds of different guys but at first all he kept thinking about was uh would get me in trouble you know so he didn't want to see me get in trouble and didn't want to see any of that kind of stuff happen so he was uh, adamantly against the whole you know guitar amp thing being in the house and playing and playing them together in the house so because of that uh for a number of years if i had my guitar and i had my amp they had to be together in the garage they weren't allowed in the house made nice for so. some interesting uh, slide revenge you know like i would take whatever <laughs> tool i could get or stuff like that and uh just <laughs> glide it all the way across that neck and make lots of noise but
2: you
3: You're not know, going, it worked out not
1: good.
2: going for not going for music, just going for annoyance.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was really it. You know, I mean, uh I'm not gonna let anybody I was I was very bad at first. It took a lot of work to 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 get it to the point where even the family would slowly let it come into the house.
2: Mm. Now were you playing with friends during high school and doing garage band kind of thing? No, no,
1: I was mostly in, in sports, you know, but we did have uh, down on the farm every once in a while, me and some guys got together, we'd get together down at the milk house, uh, fire up the heaters so we wouldn't get too cold in the winter, and we would sit there and try to, you know, pound out maybe like some early Metallica or maybe the one ACDC song we knew and uh, little little ways of playing some, you know... Kind of like uh, garage style blues back then, but that was really about it. No bands or nothing.
2: Well, what kind of sports were you into?
1: I oh, played football all the way up to my first year of college. Played uh, baseball all the way to my first year of college. Even had a trial with the Brewers. Uh, it? Just it didn't really matter, you know. It just, I just it didn't wasn't like today, like where kids have to be all specialized in their sports. I just went from sport to sport, you know. Like I was yeah. goofing with my buddies. I still play hockey when I'm home. And uh, I never played on a rink or an organized team. We just, when the pond froze, we grabbed our skates and we skated for two months. And when, as soon as somebody's foot went through the pond, hockey season was over.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was it. The season was all built around the weather. That's, that's yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah. so sports was, you know, basically whatever was the season I was into. And, you know, when I went to college and hurt my shoulder, uh, I actually remember getting it operated on, trying to figure out if I was going to play football in getting that arm through the sling so I could start fingering that fretboard and get on the guitar
2: and uh you ended up did you end up quitting after your first year or was it just uh, second year?
1: it was uh end of the first year of school I started uh realizing you know it was hard to work and go to school at the same time, and then sports started taking the back seats because I had to pay my own way through school right and then uh you know eventually I ended up working and bailing out of school.
2: You went uh, to work at the Hard Rock uh, in Chicago? Yeah,
1: and uh, at first it started off in the kitchen, but it it grew pretty rapidly to the point where I was helping out with shows occasionally that they would do there. And then before you knew it, I was getting transferred to other Hard Rocks across the country. And it 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 was a good opportunity to get a good, you know, corporate job and stuff like that. I had no idea. It was gonna keep uh, allowing me to do things like grab Pete Townsend's guitar off the wall and strum some stuff, things like that.
2: Now, th- yeah, that's got to be a total benefit for any job. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a little less money if I can do that. Yeah, that's. I, I, I used to, I, <laughs> on
1: inventory nights. I used to bring in my old little Rockman, which was a little portable amp with headphones. And I'd sit there after we got done in inventory and hang out with the rest of the people while they counted. I literally would see what guitars I could jimmy off the wall without <laughs> getting in too much trouble and plug them into my Rockman for a little while and then put them back up on the wall so I wouldn't get in trouble.
2: I guess it was out of San Diego you uh, had a meeting that kind of redirected your trip
1: yeah ironically it was something similar to that because uh at the san diego hard rock they had a american flag shirt a long sleeve shirt that hendrix had owned or maybe wore a few times the manager uh of the hard rock was originally from chicago too so we had stevie ray vaughn in for a uh autograph session where he was like a meet and greet thing and uh you know it allowed him to get the shirt out and let him see it and You know, before we knew it, we had a bunch of us lined up in the back office to say hello to him. And he kind of realized I didn't, you know, wasn't like the rest of the guys because of my accent. You know, I I know it now from traveling and being around the world. You know, music is very regional. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is dialect. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess I was one of the only guys that wasn't saying, dude, and sounded like I just come from the surf. Because he said, uh, where are you from? And I said, Chicago. And I I said, you know, I just recently, the last few years, started listening to your music a lot, and I really like this record, and I really like this record. And and he's like, stop me mid-sentence. And he's like, you're from Chicago? Stop listening to me. Go listen to Buddy Guy and Junior Wells, Albert Collins. Uh, You know, he mentioned, like, half the alligator
3: rocker. yep. In Mm about
1: a sentence the minute I did get, you know, back home to Chicago, which wasn't too, too, too much longer after that. That's the first thing I did was start, you know, paying attention to what he told me and start hanging out at these clubs where I could see these guys, you know, like AC Reed. I remember the first time I we went to go see him, you know, and was like, wow, Stevie Ray Vaughan played on two songs on his record. Can't wait to go see him.
2: Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah,
1: it, look- it, it, it it was one of those things that just uh, right place, right time. And it ended up being uh the the smallest little timing thing, you know, they say sports is a game of inches. Yeah. But literally, I don't go to work that day and then maybe I don't go down this path and then maybe my whole life is different. Sure, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, or, or yeah. you you decide to leave early because you just, you know, had a bad day or some some customer pissed you off or whatever it happened to be. Um with that in mind, let's go back to uh the uh album double Down. Not us sure how but we'll go back to it uh talk about wonder woman
1: oh uh, uh, uh songs real personal to me you know it's uh it's the truth you know after uh getting divorced and uh, going through some problems in life i met a wonderful woman mm-hmm. and uh it made me realize you know that uh i've had three great women in my life you know uh i'm i'm religious the virgin mary means a lot to me my own mother means a lot to me, and, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to be blessed with another wonderful woman in my life. There you go, great.
2: Uh, Frank Bang and the Secret Stash off the Double Dare album. This is Wonder Woman.
4: woken from
5: with Vinnie Marini. Hey, this is Bruce Andrews.
1: And George Dudley with Two Blue and the Lucky Stiffs.
5: And you're listening to Music on the Couch with Vinnie Marini, y'all.
2: And this segment of Music on the Couch is sponsored by Eric Hughes and his latest album, Drink Up. It's released on the I-55 label. Drink Up is a welcome treat for Eric Hughes fans and a wake-up call for those who have not experienced the pure feel of the Memphis blues as delivered by Hughes and his band. True, true field street blues with a flavoring of rock and country. Drink Up is an album you'll want to hear. Check out www.ericuseband.com to buy Drink Up and for all things Eric Hughes. Uh, We're sitting here with Frank Bang And uh, we just heard uh, Wonder Woman Off of the album Double Dare Um, Just wanted to show love to the band Uh, Frank is on guitar and vocals Uh, Tony McQuaid on guitar and vocals Josh Hyland on bass and vocals And Bob Stilbring on drums and vocals Um, Who else is on the album, Frank? I got it digitally I didn't get a uh, cover sheet
1: Oh, oh, awesome Well, the harmonica player on that Is uh, Russ Green a uh, great younger guy from Chicago, uh, been around the scene like I had for years and is uh, doing some great stuff on his own. I'm sure you'll hear much from him down the road. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Besides that, uh, it, it was mostly just me, Bob, and our original bass player, Ryan Fitzgerald. We brought in some people to help out uh, occasionally on some songs, but uh, originally it was just
2: oh, okay. You know, mostly, okay.
1: mostly trio stuff with, with uh if the if the producer felt like maybe we need a little something more we would bring in one of my buddies.
2: Okay. Okay. Um I got a call from uh six three oh Ed, Ed uh welcome to Music on the Couch. You've got a question for hey, Eddie. Uh, Frank? Hi Frank Bing. it's me Johnny Moore and I'm eight years old. So what's
4: what going on gonna, Johnny?
3: What
6: do you can you give me some advice of what
4: I should listen to the next generation
1: of blues. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for calling in, Johnny. Uh, I've seen Johnny play online, and uh, he's definitely headed in the right direction. I I, I think there's a a lot of great uh, players out there of of every generation, whether you uh, go with the old masters like a Freddie King or an Albert King. I can never seem to get enough of that. And there's definitely uh, some 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 guys that are around that might not seem like they're still young, but have been you know because they've been doing it for so long, like like Kenny Neal, who uh, I I think is one of the best there is, still doing his thing. And then uh, you know there's always like some younger guys, Johnny like yourself, that'll uh, be coming around and doing stuff too, like those you know, I saw everyone from Derek Trucks to Johnny Lang to Joe Bonamassa all at 13, 14 years old. And now all those guys are pretty well-known, famous guys doing their thing. So you never know what you can get out of this. Thanks, Frank. Johnny, Johnny, how old? I love watching you play, Frank. You're welcome, Eddie. Thanks, Johnny. Love you, bro.
2: How old is Johnny?
1: I, I, he's, about, he's just a little older than my youngest son, which I i think he's almost nine. Okay. He,
3: yeah, I, he's saw been, him playing,
1: I saw him playing bass online doing one of our songs. Uh,
2: and he sounded great. Uh, I mean, if he's looking for kids, contemporaries of his, I'll throw a couple of names at you. Matthew Davidson uh, out of Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, Austin Young out of uh, Colorado. Uh, they're okay. both 16, 17 in that age range. Both very, very good guitar players. Um, uh, both know how to handle themselves, you know, and, and uh, both are both really what we're hoping for,
1: right? Who, yeah, are,
2: there's also a band. There's also a band, exactly um, an all girls band so, called the Sad Sam Blues Band, and they are also in that in that age range uh, that you can check out.
1: Yeah, we had a chance to meet Quinn
0: Sullivan, so he really likes Quinn Sullivan. Mm-hmm. So. But uh,
2: there,
1: was,
2: cool. Thanks for the call. Appreciate you. All
1: right. Thanks for in there. All right, thank you, Frank.
2: Thank you. You're very welcome. Keep going, Jerry. Absolutely, keep going, absolutely keep going. Um Okay, uh so then okay, you moved back to now we where were we uh you moved back to Chicago, you got a job as a Buddy Guys, uh and you start jamming after hours with Wayne Bay Brooks. Uh, and at times you're traveling with Buddy as uh as a roadman, I guess. Uh, yeah,
1: you know, what's funny is I started off at the club, you know, like it was so raw back then. And after having that corporate background with the hard rock, I mean, I could just see it. You know, I mean, they were selling fifths of liquor through the merchandise, you know, stand and and big twist in the Mellow F- fellow records. And, you know, I mean, I came from working with the hard rock where if they could have put a logo on a shower curtain and got it out the door, they'd have done it.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I
1: started working at Legends, you know, it was real raw and I realized, you know, maybe if I took a little bit of what I had learned in, uh, you know, in the corporate world and stuff like that, I might be able to find myself a nice little home just for, you know, a job. But one of the benefits was, uh, you know, just having me owned by buddy guy. So before you knew it, you know, I started hanging out and meeting people like Wayne Baker Brooks who... You know, our friendship started off innocently enough, but I mean, to this day, you know, we're still great friends. I mean, his kids, my kids will play PlayStation with them,
3: yeah. you know sure. what I mean?
1: And uh, we, we just started hanging out, and whatever we saw at Legends, we kind of waited till everybody was gone, and the cleaning guy was just there, and, you know, we'd break out the amps, and we'd kind of try to figure out what we just saw every night.
3: sure. And uh, I
1: mean, it was, it, it was one of those things where even on nights, like, you know, you're just tired of everything and you'd walk in and all of a sudden you'd meet or hear another new artist or someone else that had traveled, you know, to legends from, you know, all over the country. And it just was a great experience. It really was.
2: Yeah. And, uh, eventually, uh. You started doing some jams on the Monday. We started, Yeah, you know
1: well, it's funny Like I had uh, a bunch of different people that uh, basically tricked me into coming up and playing on stage on Monday night, you know, and then before you knew it, I started getting a little more confidence to where when they asked, I would do that, and then the next thing you know, people were asking me to come to their gigs and fill in, and, and then before you knew it, I was playing in the house band, and uh, one thing led to another, and then uh, the band leader of the house band got sick, and when uh, we wanted, you know, we wanted the jam to keep going, but we wanted him to fill in and get his money, even though he was in the hospital, so me and another guy uh, basically ran it for him, and that led to me running the jam, and just was, you know, one of those things that just kept like all the stuff that you would never believe happened, just kept right. happening there in Legends. You know, one thing after another, and next thing you know, I'm on stage, you know, playing on a Monday night jam, and there's Otis Rush, Junior Wells, Buddy Guy, all on stage with me. And then, I can't give away a guitar to somebody because they're like, No, no, you keep up, you stay up here with us. But I mean, literally, it, it just blossomed into one of those things, and it, it's very short, years, but in five years time. on the road, yeah. To five yeah. years
2: on the road with, with buddy, uh, playing. yeah,
1: the, yeah. The, you know, the funny thing was, uh, I kind of felt like I had hit the wall with legends and couldn't really keep working there and still grow as a musician. And, uh, I went out on my own and things were going good. Uh, got some interest from Capricorn records when they were still around and was getting ready to do a record with, uh, Warren Haynes of government mule as the producer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ironically, you know, I found out Buddy was looking for a guitar player, and I went and talked to him and said, you know, if you're interested in a guitar player, I'd love the chance to play with you. I know all your songs. And he was like, well, I thought things were going good for you on your own, with your own band. I'm like, it is, but that wouldn't be the same as, you know, coming full circle and playing with you and your band. So, before you know it, uh, he asked me if I was interested, and led to a very interesting tryout slash uh, rehearsal on stage. But it went good, and uh, it led to me being a new band and traveling the world with him for
7: five a little, years, which was amazing. A
2: little trial by fire one night, and uh, you won the job.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what the funny thing is? I get a call from his manager, who was Scott Cameron. Scott Cameron was uh, one of the all-time big blues managers. Mm-hmm. He managed Willie Dixon. He managed Buddy Waters, all these different cats. He was managing Buddy at the time. And I get a call saying, uh, hey, uh, Buddy wants you to come down. He's doing a benefit show. Uh, he's already moved on from his old guitar player, Scott. He's going to have Phil Guy play rhythm that night. And I thought, oh, that's awesome because, you know, I grew up on all these Phil Guy records or Buddy Guy records with Phil Guy playing rhythm. So I was like, oh, that's that's going to be a great treat. And they're like, yeah, when you get up there, g- go play, but don't solo. Whatever you do, don't solo. Just go up and play rhythm. And I was like, okay. So, uh, show went on, and Buddy was up there for about an hour, and all of a sudden he called up Lonnie Brooks. And when he jumped off the stage from Lonnie Brooks, uh, Phil winked at me and threw me up on the stage, too. And uh, me and Lonnie, you know, I mean, if you can imagine, me and Wayne have been friends for 20 years. Uh, His dad's been a beautiful person to me, and uh, his dad knows I love Jimmy Reed. Mm -hmm. So he pumped out a Jimmy Reed song, and... We got ready to do a second song, and uh, Killer Allison, who used to be uh, Buddy's drummer back then, now he's out on his own playing guitar, said, uh, "Hey Lonnie, let's do one of your songs." And Lonnie was like, oh, these guys, it's your, you know, it's Buddy Guy's band. You guys don't know my songs." And I said, "Oh, which one do you want to do?" Because I, you know, I mean, I grew up watching Lonnie as much as I did Buddy. Mm-hmm. So I basically led Buddy through. To- band through one of Lonnie's songs and you could see Buddy and Phil kind of nodding and pointing and looking at me like, okay, I, I think he passed the test. He's leading the band right now. And then uh, Buddy got on stage and the first thing Buddy did was he grabbed a sip of cognac and said solo as soon as he got on stage with me. And I thought, all right, well, you know, they told me not to solo, but he's the boss. So, you know, I, did 12 bars and I tried to get out and he just kept looking at me and pointing, soloing. And uh, I got the 24 bars, thinking, all right, well I better be cordial here. It's my first time being invited with the band and I'm trying to get out every 12 bar turnaround. I'm trying to get out, you know, thinking he's gonna <laughs> stop me soloing and get back to it. And next thing you know, I've been about five minutes into the solo and he's just kind of got his back to me, kind of. Sipping cognac, letting me just kind of go off, and uh, I got done. The place went crazy, and uh, it was a great five years after that.
3: Yeah. With a lot
1: of, you know, I remember one time Buddy got a new manager about uh, 2003, and he came to me and Tony Z, who's uh, one of the greatest B3 players ever. He's in the B3 Hall of Fame. And he asked us, would we be interested in becoming the band leader for Buddy Guy? And we both looked at, you know, we looked at each other and we both, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, be the band leader of a hurricane? You know, he kind of makes it up as he goes along. He doesn't really, you know, have a set list. He's improvising he might pull out a song he ain't played in 20 years. And I mean, you can't really predict that. I mean, and and it shouldn't, you know, that's one of the things that's great about Buddy is watching him go off and just go all over the map and still keep it together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it was one of the nice things about him is even when, you know, stuff like from the first day, like the Don't Solo story, you
2: know,
3: just, that's five years
1: <laughs> just of how happens, life was yeah. with him.
2: Five years, and uh, you, uh, from '97 from to 2007, you put out five albums, uh, and then um, before this one, nothing for the last five years or so. Uh, what's been going on? New yeah life.
1: I actually you know I got divorced and I took a little stock in my life. You know I didn't realize I had been in on the road for twenty years and when I did take some stock in my life i uh I enjoyed it. I caught up with some cousins I hadn't seen you know if you think about it, when people socialize and get with their family and their friends once they become adults, it's usually the weekend mm-hmm. and uh for those of you who do know or don't know. I'm going to enlighten you. Us musicians, that's our Monday through Friday, you know. Thursday to Sunday morning, we're out making our money, trying to get what we can being club musicians, uh, because uh, come Monday night, probably going to be pretty dead, you know. So I missed a lot of life for a number of years. And uh, once I took a break and, you know, reexamined some things with my life, I I was enjoying it. I had a great time being home. As much as, you know, I love the road.
3: Sure. And it's one of those sure. things
1: that's either born in you or it's not. It's definitely been born in me. But it was it was nice taking a seat back and checking out the other side of life and you know
3: that's cool. making but,
1: yeah. little league baseball my number one priority instead of hustling to the airport to go to another gig.
2: Yeah, no, that's 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 cool. Um did it uh has it changed your writing?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing, I, you know, like, I got all these emails from people like, oh, God, I hope you're still playing. I played every day. Mm-hmm. Anything, I think it kind of, uh, it allowed me to sit back and be a student again of the craft. And uh, that's something I'm into, you know, like, uh, I've been blessed to be around guys like Warren Haynes and John Hyatt and, and guys who wrote a couple tunes,
2: you know. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> this what, yeah, there's a couple hundred right there in- those two yeah days. yeah and,
1: and, they're, and they're, they're pretty pretty good songs too
2: yeah
3: and yeah.
1: uh you know it kind of made me realize a couple things how blessed i was how to not take anything for granted how uh how uh lucky i i am that i started playing guitar at 17 and by the time i was 32 i was traveling all over the world with greatest names ever so i, I you know when i took that break i took all that into consideration and you know, sat around and learned songs I promised myself I was going to learn. You know, like uh, I've always been a big fan of Leon Russell's uh, uh, song for you that so many different artists from Donnie Hathaway to Willie Nelson have done. And I actually, you know, sat around, and learned piano, little things like that. Oh. And yeah, I think all that made me a better songwriter.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um, when you're not playing, so uh, you obviously also came up with some hobbies during that time. So what what kind of hobbies do you have at this point in your life?
1: I like to play hockey. Like, I'm I'm 45 years old, and I still like to go play hockey a couple mornings a week.
2: Bag the boards a little?
1: Yeah, you know, what's funny is, like, uh, I usually hang out with a group of guys, so we're all trying to look out for each other, mm-hmm. including, uh, you know, a guy who manages Kev Mo and uh, Coco Montoya. I okay. hadn't seen him, hadn't seen seen JB, in, you know, probably ten years, and then one day we're on the ring together. Can't see each other with the squished faces and those cages.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and, I mean, you know, and we're and we're
1: jawing with each other <laughs> over the puck, and you know, it, it, yeah. yeah, I, I, I do enjoy it, but I, I'm noticing also, you know, like uh, if I know I'm off from playing guitar, I tend to play hockey. When I know I've got a lot of shows and a lot of guitar playing to do, I tend to lay off the ice because, uh, you know, I need the the wrists and the yeah. fingers working
2: properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the last thing you need. Uh, yeah. You're at the Double Door in Chicago this Wednesday evening. Uh, then on the 30th, you're at the Double Door Inn in Chico- in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, that's right. And on the 31st, you're at Slim's in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: Yeah. Um, we uh, we The record comes out on the uh, 21st. And uh, starting with the 28th down in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, where we're doing a television show, it gets uh, pretty hot and heavy for a while. And then uh, also, uh, I don't think we've officially told anybody this yet, but we can go ahead and do it now. Um, I am going to start uh, touring with Otis Taylor, playing with him for his European band. Uh, only for Europe, because he's got a guy here in the States who does a great job and can't travel. So uh, besides going out to promote my record all of June, all of August, September, October, the rest of the year, also going to start uh, touring with Otis and uh, backing him up, starting a European tour 1st uh, of July.
2: Well, congratulations. That's great. That's great. That's
1: great. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention to you was uh, – um, we're doing a live uh, webcast Wednesday from uh, Double Door.
2: Oh, is that a live uh, webcast Wednesday? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you if you go to my website frankbang.net or frankbang, yeah frankbang.net, you can uh, go ahead and sign up for that and uh, watch the show live from Double Door.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's it's starting to happen more and more um, as 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 the clubs start to rig up with some good lighting systems to help with the, uh, you know, the cameras, the high-def cameras of today uh, that you need. Uh, it's starting to happen more and more. That's very cool because it's certainly a great way for you to help uh, to to win more fans. Um, and that's wonderful. I hope you get uh, to, you know, toward Memphis at some point in time. Again, as Frank just mentioned, it's frankbang.net. Uh and we're going to, um, you know, like I said, if you get toward Memphis, I'd love to get to meet and uh, come out and see you play live. Uh, and let's uh, play one more from Double Dare, the new album by Frank Bang and The Secret Stash. Uh, tell us about the song, All I Need.
1: Uh, true story. Just uh, just met somebody, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I am take things slow. I'm not really one of those kind of guys that likes to rush. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting around talking, and the girl said, uh, you know, I don't really know anything about you. And uh, I went to my room, wrote a song, uh, played it for a couple of days later. You know, I mean, uh, when you travel out like I do, mm-hmm. uh, my life in Atlanta or Black Mountain, North Carolina, or Louisville, Kentucky uh, can take on a different uh, shape because of the people I'm around and the atmosphere I'm around. And, uh, you know, I I just basically wrote a song about the stuff I do when I was going to those towns.
2: Cool. Thanks, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking time. Uh, and uh, a lot of luck this year, and moving forward. Oh,
1: thank you, Vinny. Vinny, thank you so much for having me on the couch. Uh, truly appreciate that. Uh, great getting uh, Johnny on the phone there with us, and yeah. uh, appreciate you uh, plugging away and helping us out with uh, the double dare. Uh, looking forward to getting out this year, and hopefully get a chance to see you before the years over, with, Vinny.
2: Excellent. Uh, off double dare from Frank Bang and the Secret Stash. All I needed. <laughs> we
4: Down and by.
2: Love barbecue and blues? Then you need to get to Owatonna, Minnesota, on May 31st and June 1st for Smokin' and Steel, sponsored by the Knights of Columbus Council 945 in support of the Special Olympics. The Kansas City Barbecue Society's sanctioned barbecue competition comes with $10,000 in prizes. Plus, there's a barbecue competition for the kids, a 5K run, on-site camping, and much more—all for free. And on the Beer Garden stage, you can enjoy the music of Rusty Wright Band, the Annie Mack Band, Johnny Neal, the Kelly Ritchie Band, and eight other blues acts for only $10 in advance. Check out all the details and buy your advance tickets for Smokin' and Steel on May 31st and June 1st in Owatonna, Minnesota at www.smokininsteele.com. That's S-M-O-K-I-N-I-N-S-T-E-E-L-E.com. This segment of Music on the Couch is sponsored by the Pam Taylor Band. Mix a little bit of blues, a little bit of rock, and a whole lot of boogie and you get hot mess. The debut album from the Pam Taylor Band. With Pam Taylor on guitar and vocals, Mike Taylor on saxophone, Kyle Phillips on lead guitar, Rusty Galbraith on bass, and L.A. Freeman on drums, the Pam Taylor Band has taken the Carolinas by storm and are now aiming to take the rest of the U.S. and the world. Jump on the bandwagon and check out all things Pam Taylor Band at www.pamtaylorband.com. And you can also buy Hot Mess and Pam Taylor Band swag there, too. And now I'm going to bring in my next guest, master of the slide guitar. His name is Sterling Cook. Evening, Sterling, and thanks for taking a seat on the couch.
7: Thanks for having me, Vinny. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Uh, Where were you born and raised?
7: Um, in uh, the eastern mountains of Pennsylvania, um, I'm, I live about ten minutes from a town called Pottsville, uh, Pennsylvania,
2: okay.
7: mm-hmm. um, which is the home of Yingling Beer, the um, yeah. Yingling Breweries right here, and oldest uh,
2: brewery in the United States, right?
7: That's right, America's oldest brewer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, so I was I was born here, and um, I lived in Philadelphia while I went to college for um four or five years and then moved to Florida to work with a band um, for a couple of years and then moved back up north here and then, um, have lived here ever since.
2: Um, what kind of music did your parents play in your home when you were just a wee lad?
7: Oh, uh, well, see, that's the coolest thing, because I can remember um, my aunt um, would come over the house, and I can see this as plain as day when I was like three or four years old. Every Friday my aunt would get paid, and she would go to the local music store and pick up the latest um forty five rpm records if you know what that is.
2: I sure do. I <laughs> absolutely do.
3: <laughs>
7: and uh so she would bring over she was a big Elvis fan, so there was always a lot of Elvis, but there was always some interesting like jazz and blues stuff that she would bring by and I'm sure that at the age of 3 or 4 that had a really big effect on on my music listening and um as I got older I got into my teens um my record collection was always very different from my friends. My friends were listening to, um, you know, the Monkees or the Beatles or um, Dave Clark Five or whatever. And my record collection was Jimi Hendrix and James Brown. And um, I remember there was a Aretha Gold album in there and, and some Sam and Dave and stuff. So I was listening to very different stuff than yeah. my friends were.
2: Absolutely. Um, let's listen to a tune from the latest album. Um, uh it, let It Slide is the title of the album Talk to Us About I Only Want to Be With You Please.
7: Oh, that's cool. That's um I I wrote that song for my wife. Um and the we were um with my band, we had been looking for a um a slow blues song with a with a good message to slow dance to because we make our living um playing the local bars and nightclubs and stuff and uh, the song, kinda, the song just kind of song just kind of came to me, and it uh people really seemed to dig it.
2: hey go starling Cook off the latest it's live release this is I only want to be. With Rock, the Master of Disaster, host of the local Licks radio program on WRIP 97.9 in beautiful upstate New York. You're listening to The Man, The Myth, The Mystery, Mr. Vinny Marini, Music on the Couch. Sterling Cook, and I Only Want to Be With You uh, from his latest album, Let It Slide. Yeah, I can see where that would uh, make the dance floor fill up very quickly. Yeah, that no yeah, works pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when did you first start playing guitar?
7: Um, probably about twelve. I okay. actually started out playing saxophone, and, and saxophone became kind of uncool. And I had a terrible saxophone teacher. Um, and my my parents insisted I play a musical instrument, so I switched to guitar. Probably around age of twelve. Um, uh, I you played former lessons. Played. Um, yeah, I did. And and what happened was, um, I got to a certain level, and I couldn't get a teacher. Um, in my area, find a better teacher to get me any further. I got very frustrated and actually quit playing for a while. And uh, I got into sports for a time, um, played basketball um, in high school in my first year of college. And um, I, I tore up my knee my first year of college basketball. And um, that was that was back in the day before um, arthroscope. And so I have a giant scar across the front of my knee, and w- spent the whole summer um, in a cast from my ankle all the way up to my hip and that's had tough. nothing else to do mm-hmm. but go back to playing guitar again, and that's how I actually got back into playing again.
2: Right. That's so funny because uh, just talking to Frank, uh, you know, he played baseball and played football the first year of college and got hurt and ended up, you know, later in school and, and you know going to work at uh hard rock and that's how he got back into playing guitar yeah uh, didn't even realize it because you're one of those you're one of those guys uh uh that um there's like nothing out there about this point in your life uh <laughs> so so for all your fans they'll be able to find out a little bit more about you um so you're in high school. You didn't play guitar at all. Um, when you when you picked it back up again while you were recuperating, uh, what what were you playing?
7: Well, actually, what ended up happening was I I um, uh, got back to playing bass, um, and that's how I was um, working when I was in college. Then I was playing um, bass in some bands in college, and when I graduated college, I went on the road down to Florida and lived for two years down in florida playing bass for a band down there and um the only reason why i moved back and and left florida was because i started writing um my own music and wanted to switch back to guitar so i moved back home back to pennsylvania um sold all my bass gear and my bass guitars and switched to guitar and started writing and stuff and and started playing guitar from there on
2: at that point how old are we here
7: What's um, different? uh, 25, yeah, twenty four, twenty five.
3: because everybody, everybody
7: thought I was crazy. I've been playing bass and on the road, making a living playing bass and all of a sudden I'm going to drop this and, and pick up the guitar again. And, uh, you know, people thought I was kind of crazy for doing that, but
2: what kind of music were you playing? What was the band that you were playing with?
7: Um, the band I was with down in Florida on the road was just a, uh, like a just a classic rock, you know, current rock kind of band uh-huh. five nights a week. Um and at that time it was nice down in Florida 'cause you would you would go into a place on a Tuesday um and set up and then play Wednesday through Sunday at the same place. So you'd just show up at you know not at nine o'clock and start at ten and play till two and just go back to the hotel and you know, have a good time and just start it all up again the next day.
2: <laughs> oh so uh, okay, pretty good so. life. It was sort of like being the house band at a, at a resort.
7: Exactly, uh, exactly. And you just go from one week in one place. You know, we are in, in uh, Bradenton one week and Sarasota the next and up to Tampa. Um, we played Sebring for race week. Then you work your way over to the east coast to Daytona and then come back again to the west coast and just kind of keep doing that.
2: It was all cover, all cover stuff. Uh,
7: yeah, yeah. There was the – Part of the thing that got me to go down there in the first place was um, was talk of um, doing some original stuff. It was kind of a southern rock um, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. uh, so there was there was talk about you know yeah we might do some originals. And I thought okay well that'd be cool, but we never got around to it, and that was kind of the big disappointment for me.
2: So you came back you came back to Pennsylvania, and I know in 1982 uh, you recorded a seven inch single. Uh, that you recorded in your parents' home And it got you signed to Ebony Records in England Is that like right after you came back?
7: Yes, yeah okay. I'd probably been playing guitar For about a year okay. And um, a friend of mine Who was a, a drummer And um, another friend, a guitar player Who had a had a four-track Reel-to-reel <laughs> And we set that up in my...
2: The art, baby
7: At, <laughs> At that time, that it was a lot of <laughs>
2: Come a lot of money. Hey, come on now. <laughs> I, I know it
7: did. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, at that time it was. <laughs> and uh, so we recorded that in my parents' basement, and uh, I sent some copies to a uh, a music shop in Soho in London, and um, the guy sent a copy of it on to um, Ebony Records up north, and uh, Daryl Johnson, who was the head of Ebony at the time, um heard it and 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 said you know that he wanted to sign us and have us come over and do an album and all and so um you know we signed a deal and 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 flew over and spent uh two weeks over in in uh england um and cut an album for them full force yes that was the the full force album that was um um for ebony and um it we had some problems with them. Um, yeah,
2: I was going to say the next couple of years it was almost like a Twilight Zone episode for you. Uh, you were in limbo. <laughs> <music laughs> I mean, bad business decisions. Uh, one album never got got released. Um, you know, the producers changing musicians in the middle of midstream
7: and stuff. Oh uh, um, yeah. It was,
2: <laughs>
7: how was did like you a, not like, like jump a, on like an episode of Spinal Tap or something? It was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you not, like,
2: you know, like, just walk away from it all?
7: Well, yeah, but, you know, there's just, I don't know, there's something in me, I guess I'm, I don't know,
3: <laughs>
7: you'd think I'd be smarter, but I, I really don't have anything else I can do, so I just have to keep keep plowing ahead, I mean, uh, you know, the thing with Ebony was that um, they got uh, Grim Reaper at that time signed to RCA, and RCA wanted to sign, like, everything that Ebony had, and... and um Daryl would go to R C A and say, Well, I want this much money and, and R C A would say, Okay, and then he would turn around and say, Well no, I want more money. And then he I want more money. And finally R C A just said, Look, forget it. We've got Grim Reaper and that's it. Uh, so he kinda of blew the whole deal. Um we we uh, got out of that record contract and signed with a label here and the day that the record released <laughs> the the uh, record company went bankrupt. <laughs> and we got we got paid in cases of albums.
2: <laughs> Yay. <Yeah. laughs> and we're talking and we're talking vinyl albums here,
7: folks. Vinyl, yeah. <laughs> we're talking vinyl albums. Yeah, vinyl. absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah, but you know, you can't you can't just can't just leave in the trunk of your car in the middle of the summer. No. <laughs> Not good for it. Not good no. for it. no. Um they become ashtrays. <laughs> yeah, or at least you know, we used to do that with 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 albums that were beyond repair. Um yeah. And you 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 signed with the record company here, and you went in all instrumental. Uh, nineteen ninety, uh, guitar will rock. Nineteen ninety four, above and beyond. Uh, ninety six was doc- doxology, doxology. Right. Um, what was the process behind going instrumental and uh, uh, for those albums?
7: Well. Um from the force this album on we'd always had a singer in the band because um various management people always said well you really need to have a front man you really need to have a singer and i just had it my fill with working with singers um and by the time like 89 90 1991 rolled around i just said you know what i'm just going to do some instrumental music i think um Around that time, Satriani was out and was doing really well, and I guess Steve Vai was coming out too and was doing really well with instrumental music. I thought, you know what, it seems like a pretty viable thing. I just really had my fill of working with singers, so let's try this. And uh, it actually seemed to go pretty well for a time. Um, I got some some uh, some good press and some good reviews on on the on the, the instrumental albums. Um,
3: yeah. Absolutely.
7: Yeah, guitar world, and and at that time there was a guitar for the practicing musician, and uh, they had all you know gotten really good reviews from it for for um, those albums.
2: Yeah, I mean, and again, let's uh, you know, you were playing regular guitar at that point. Uh, you hadn't uh, moved on. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, you went uh, 1998. You went all acoustic for In the Spirit um was there uh, a thought process behind that uh, you know to to do that or was or just explore a different side of you
7: yeah i think it was explore a different side of me and at that time i was um actually starting to put the the basics of my own studio together um and it was it was actually easiest for me to to work my way into that um doing like an acoustic album first and starting to get everything rolling with my studio here. Um and so um so I did the Acoustic album um with a lot of like drum loops and stuff and um uh multi-tracking a lot of guitars. So it was as much not only making an album but kind of experimenting with me engineering my own stuff at that time too.
2: Mhm. cool. Uh let's talk let's listen to another song from uh, Let It Slide. Uh talk about Lonely Avenue.
7: Uh, Lonely Avenue was a really cool song, um, and and this is ironically an instrumental tune. We're talking about instrumental mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Um, the the melody actually came to me. I, I woke up um, one morning and had the melody in my head, and um, I came right down to my studio. Studio's in my house, and I came down to my studio and wrote the the basic melody down, and then I just let it sit for. I mean, gosh, almost two months it sat just the melody. And when I started putting um, songs together for an album, then I sat down with it and started working on it. But I, I wrote out the the main melody of the song and uh, and had kept it for, like I said, about two months till I really started working on it. But um, but that you know, not quite came to me in a dream, but I kind of woke up with that thing on my mind and and just came down and wrote it down right away before I forgot it.
2: Call, cool. Sterling Cook from Let It Blide, Lonely Avenue. The segment of music on the couch is sponsored by Doug McCloud and his new release, There's the Time. The 2013 Music Award nomination for Acoustic Artist. A new album in his hand, Doug is continuing to be held as the master of the original acoustic blues, and when there's a time he proves it with every note. As Tone Monkey said, something special is going on here, and as a listener, you feel part of the magic. For all things Doug McLeod and to purchase, there's a time. Check out www.doug-mcLeod.com. And by the album there. Uh, Krista, good night, dear. Uh Krista came all the way from Indianapolis and uh she was around for the Blues Music Awards this week and it was great seeing her and she's always a huge fan of the show and uh she's suggested numerous, 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 numerous artists for the show, uh and they're always the best. Uh I'll let it slide. Sterling is uh, on on to Guitar Vocals and Guitars, uh Jean Babula is on bass And John Goba on drums uh, Larry Adam is on keyboards uh, For the uh, Actually the uh, the first song we played I Only Want to Be With You And Jennifer Duwechter uh Is backing vocals on one of the songs It was produced by Sterling Cook With Brett Alexander and Mary Cook uh, Basic tracks were recorded at Thatcheration Acres uh, Vocals and Obru dubs recorded at Good Acoustic Studio And the album was mixed by Brett Alexander uh, And uh uh, on Sterling's label and uh you need to check it out. Um sterling your next four albums uh came under the band name of Victory in Heaven. Tell us about this project.
7: It was um a gospel blues kind of um thing where um I was a, always a big fan of Reverend Gary Davis.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Um and we actually got started um some friends of mine we got together and and we're jamming actually to a Gary Davis tune and um it just sounded so great that we thought man this, we got to do this get a band doing this and um uh, so we we um uh, wrote some original stuff did some did some old um old gospel covers that we kind of rocked up did some Gary Davis some Sunhouse stuff like that and um played all over the place and and uh and cut a, a bunch of albums, and uh, and we're having a good time uh, doing it. Yeah,
2: uh, but then uh, 2004, it, cha- kind of, it all changed. Uh, yeah. Talk about talk about what happened.
7: Yeah, 2004. We had just got back from um, a week at uh, Daytona Bike Week. We played down there. Uh, we played at the Jackson Hole Saloon, and um, I just I woke up one Monday morning and I had this incredible pain in my arms. And my shoulders and um and I couldn't move uh, my arms, and I had no idea what happened and um i I ended up um for about six to eight weeks having my arms paralyzed. I didn't know what went wrong um I was in a great deal of pain um the fingertips on my on my left hand felt like they were gonna just blow right off. there was so much pressure in them. Um I went to several doctors and and some of them put me on some real serious painkillers and said, you know, you might have to just live with this uh for the rest of your life. I said, "Live with this?" I said, "This isn't living, man. Somebody's got to figure something out." Um and what the end of figuring out was is that um a disc in my in my neck um had collapsed and had collapsed on a nerve and pinched the nerve. Mm-hmm. um that goes out across the shoulders and um uh, just literally paralyzed both my arms. Um so I went for a bunch of physical therapy um to help straighten things out and as things started to settle down what they found out actually was um my right leg is actually a little bit shorter than my left leg and coincidentally the right leg was the one that got operated on from the uh, from playing basketball. Um so I actually okay. have to have a uh, actually have a half uh, a lift in my right shoe to kind of balance everything out. And as long as I keep everything all balanced out and um go for physical therapy, I go about once every six weeks. Um I was able to avoid surgery, which would have been really tough uh, to do. Yeah. And you, uh, do you do chiropractic care? I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. I'm a, I am i am a believer, I'm a believer in you know, chiropractic care I've I've blown my back out a couple of times. I was on the floor for one day for twenty almost 20, 20 hours once. Um, I just couldn't get to a phone. Uh, it was pretty brutal. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was wondering if you had used one.
7: Oh, yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, you know, a lot of people get scared off, you know, chiropractic, their bone crunchers and, and this and that. I mean, they do stuff with that too, but the guy I go to is, is very much involved in, like, Muscles and how the muscles work together and and all of that. So it's not just you know cracking bones or anything. There's a lot more to it than that. So
2: sure, yeah. My my guy, my, you know, you have to you have to go into the physical therapy area and go on go on the roller bed and you know take some heat heat or cold massage and you know they've got massage therapists that'll work on you. You know, and it's uh you know it's a full full full
7: full uh, array of
2: different cures.
7: Yeah, exactly. Well, what they what the end of finding out was cuz we had studied some some video of me playing guitar was that um you know first of all obviously i had a really poor posture when i was playing but the uh the strap of the guitar um was always over the same place on my neck so uh, they figured that after you know 30 some years of playing guitar the strap literally wore down the disk in the neck And so my doctors all said, look, you better find something else to do because if you keep playing like this, this is only going to happen again and get worse. Um, So while I was um, still uh, in a lot of pain and stuff, I came into my studio and started just fooling around with a, a little glass slide bottle and laid one of my guitars across my lap and just started sliding the bottle around. Um, cause I had seen that about that time, Robert Randolph had, had come out and, um, and was, you know, doing the, the steel guitar thing. Right. And I thought, you know, if I never get full use of my arms back again, I could probably do this and this might be a really good thing. And then when I was talking with my doctors, um, everybody said, you know well Yeah. That, you know, playing the guitar, sitting down like that might be a really good thing for you to do. So that's kind of how that all got started.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting that that's where you, you know, how you evolved with it uh, and eventually, you know, moved to, you know, the steel guitar. Um, and you, you did continue to play and record with uh, VIH until the band disbanded in 2009. Uh, and then you, you've recorded two prior albums to this, uh, Steel Guitar Blues and Slide Ruler. Um with Slide Ruler you got to team up with Tommy Shannon from Double Trouble and Chad Chet McCracken from the Doobie Brothers, from the Doobie Brothers. How did that come about? And before you start the story, uh Cena, I see you in the I see you on hold. Um we're running about eight to ten minutes behind because I took some time at the top to talk about the blues music awards. So just bear with me. If you want to call back in ten minutes, that's fine, or you please just stay there. Okay, your turn.
7: Okay. <laughs> Starting,
2: sorry. Sorry, she she wasn't in the chat room, so I couldn't type like I did with you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> so yeah,
7: no problem. Want... Sure, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, when we went to uh, put together the Slide Ruler album, um, Brett Alexander, who's my producer, um, and, and my wife and I, we all sat down um, and kind of made a bucket list of, like, if you could work with anybody on this album, who would you work with? And so, obviously for rhythm section, it would be Tommy Shannon and Chris Layton. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
7: and so I got in touch with um, a guy who knew, uh, who was actually um, sort of like a a business manager for Tommy Shannon um, from down in Texas and asked him about, you know, Tommy's availability and, and Tommy was interested in doing it and he wanted to hear, you know, what was going on. And, um, but at that time, uh, Chris Layton had started working with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Mm-hmm. And he Chris was actually out in San Francisco at the time um starting a new album with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Um and so he was not available. Um and so I found um I found Chet online um, and got in touch with him and he was very much into into um you know working on the album too. Um and and what happened was of course Tommy I had to wait a couple weeks Him to get back from San Francisco because he and Chris both um, played on uh, the Kenny Wayne Shepherd album, and I I forget which one it was, but it was just uh, you know like two years ago. And um, so I had to wait for Tommy to get back from San Francisco. Tommy didn't want to go and tour um, and be on the road as much as Kenny Wayne is on the road, Uh, okay? You know, and Chris apparently did, Um, and so. You know, Tommy was available to play on the album, and so um, we used him, and and we used Chet, and uh, uh, it was really great, great thing to work with both those guys.
2: Now, did you guys were never in the studio together, right?
7: No, we were never in the studio together. Um, but I was when each guy was doing his parts, I was, you know, in constant contact with them, and this is a really weird thing because. Um, both those guys are like amazing players, first of all, and have incredible experiences, um, you know, from playing and all. And they were like constantly asking me, Do you think this is okay? Do you think this is good? Do you want me to do something else? And I'm thinking, oh my god, man, you're Tommy Shannon. Just do whatever the hell you want to do. You know, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like I Emerald saying, "Taste this. Let me know if you like it." That's sure. Yeah.
7: It was, it was, but that's but that's how professional those guys sure. are. I mean, they want to make sure that because I hired them, that I'm you know happy with with what they're doing. But I'm just going. Oh man! Are you kidding me?
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, just the wonders of the internet and being able to 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 collaborate like this. Uh, yeah, cross- and
7: you know, Vinny, this- that's the, that's the thing. I mean, people that listen to that album have no idea that we sure. weren't
2: mm-hmm.
7: in the same room because, again, because of their abilities to play off of each other as the parts got recorded, um, even while they weren't in the same room together. You know, it's it's pretty impressive.
2: Absolutely. Um uh you guys were obviously all in the same room together for this one. Yes. Uh, yes,
7: yes. And uh, actually that was that was uh Brett's game plan was because of uh the way sl- uh Slide Ruler was done um with the file sharing over the internet and stuff. He really wanted to put us all in the same room together and you know, when it was mixed have that same kind of feel come out that you know, we were all there.
2: Yeah. Um uh, and nice packaging, done. I, I dig it. Um, when you're not playing, what do you do to decompress? Do you have hobbies? Uh,
7: no. <laughs> and everybody tells me I need to get one, but um, I'm just—it's just all about music for me. Um, if I'm not um, out playing somewhere with my band, um, I teach guitar. Um, sure. I have the studio here at my house. It's not a commercial studio, but you know I'm constantly demoing stuff
3: mm-hmm.
7: um if if I you know want to get out and get away my wife and I'll just go out to dinner somewhere and just you know just be you know together the two of us and, sure. and that's, that's great for me
2: yeah now you, you you are still playing a regular guitar at times um on this album I guess uh you just do it all sitting down now
7: yeah I can I can do it sitting down and I think I think the whole lap steel thing was was a real blessing in disguise because um as i've gotten older i've got some pretty bad arthritis in my left hand so i like to tell everybody i can't play competitive guitar anymore um but i can you know do rhythm parts and stuff and right, and i right. can obviously teach people how to improvise and solo and stuff but you know that whole competitive thing i i you know can't do that any longer so okay
2: um uh, you know the fact that you're still playing is a blessing to to, to those of us who have enjoyed your music so uh that's a, that's always a great thing uh, and all things sterling cook can be found at www.sterlingcook.com that's s t e r l i n g k o c h dot com uh you can also go find him on facebook if you're in pennsylvania you can catch sterling on saturday at second street pub in geraldville uh, and on Sunday he's at Jonathan's Nest in he- his. Um, and we're gonna play one last song from Let It Slide. Tell us about Wrong Side of the Blues, please.
7: Well, interesting. Wrong Side of the Blues was on an old uh, Victory in Heaven band album from, which is back in 2002. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and I always kind of, um, I liked the lyric, and I wasn't always real happy with the way it turned out musically. And um so we just kinda I just kinda updated it um to now and, and uh the new band really tore it up on it, so I was real happy with the way this one turned out.
2: Very cool. Sterling, thanks again. Um and and good luck to you. Uh I hope maybe we'll get a chance to get, get to see you sometime, maybe you come down this
7: side of town. Well uh, well thanks so much for having me, Vinny. I really do appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Uh, from wrong side of the blues, uh, or this is wrong side of the blues from Sterling Cook from the album Let It Slide.
5: Woke up this morning, I was drowning in that booze. Woke up this morning. With more times I lose I'm on the fool on the wrong side of the blue
3: Wrong
2: From Let It Slide, Sterling Cook, Wrong Side of the Blues. This segment of Music on the Couch is sponsored by Lisa B. Alice. Lisa has a new album entitled Singing in My Soul with Ricky Nye and the Paris Blues Band. The album honors early blues and jazz and features tunes from Sister Rosetta Tharp, Mississippi John Hurt, W.C. Handy, Peggy Lee, and Patsy Klein. Lisa Bialis has been hailed as a singer that delivers the goods with power and authority. Check out all things Lisa Bialis and purchase Singing in My Soul at www.lisabialis.com. That's L I S A B I A L E S. It's now a pleasure to bring in a young lady who is taking the blues world by storm. Her name is Sina Earhart, and uh, her latest album is entitled All In, and this is the title track.
0: Marini and Music on the Couch.
2: And we just heard the title track, All In, from Sina Earhart's brand new album. And now she comes in and she takes a seat on the couch. And good evening.
6: Hi, Ritty. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Um, now, you grew up in Minnesota, correct?
6: Yes, I did. I'm a Minnesota girl.
2: Minnesota girl. And your dad is a professional musician, and I, actually, he's in your band now. But when you were small last, what kind of music was playing in your home?
6: Most definitely blues music. Um, yeah. Blues is definitely at the heart of everything I do and all of my writing, and um, it's because that's the music that I grew up around. My dad has been in blues bands as a guitar player for over 40 years, and so. I was the kid that hung out at band practice and carried people's guitars to and from their trucks and just kind of hung out and and paid attention.
2: Now, At what age did you start uh, singing to the music that was around the house?
6: I think I always did. You know, my dad tells the story that when my mom was pregnant that he put headphones on her stomach uh, with Teddy Pendergrass, uh, his self-titled album, and so I think in the womb I was listening to songs like Love TKO and Feel the Fire and things like that. So
2: <laughs>
6: um, just it's always been there.
2: You you weren't going to escape it. There was no no escaping it for you. Uh, did you ever take formal singing lessons?
6: No, I really didn't. Um, I'm actually kind of a school nerd, and so when I was in school, I took courses with older kids, and there really wasn't room in my school schedule for choir. Um, so I never really did sing in school. It was always something I loved and, and did kind of on my own.
2: Okay. Uh did you ever take was there a time did you take up any instruments in your life? Have you ever played piano, guitar, trumpet?
6: Yeah. Yep. I I took many years of piano lessons. I have a piano in my home today. Um, that's what I use as my writing tool to write music. So it's not really something that I I do on stage. I think there's some uh, really talented musicians in my band, and, and they take care of the instrumentation. But I definitely know how to read music and, and use my piano as a tool for writing.
2: So no, no, no uh, desire to uh, to write a song where you, you know, during during the set you take the stage, it's just you at the piano and do a solo on the piano. I
6: think we'll get there someday. Um <laughs> I
2: I I I, I kind of picture it. You know, I kind of <laughs> picture that's the progression that it's going to happen. Um so the first time you do it, you'll think about this interview right now. Uh um, <laughs> Uh so as you as you got older, so you, during during high school and all, there was no um no playing in any local uh, high school bands, garage bands or anything uh, like that.
6: Uh, no, um there were some of my high school friends some guys that I graduated with had a band and, you know, that we really enjoyed going and listening to them play the same three or four songs over and over.
3: <laughs>
6: uh, but no, I wasn't really singing in any band. bands of my contemporaries. Um, it was shortly after I graduated high school, I was kind of begging to uh, join up with one of my dad's bands that was called the Radio Cats at that time. and he was pretty adamant that I graduate from college first because I think he understands how difficult the music business can be. Um, My dad also was a special education teacher for 33 years. So in addition to playing, he uh, was a teacher. And so I went away to school and and finished up. I have a bachelor's in biology and a master's in healthcare administration. Education is really important in my family and When I came back from school, I joined up with his band within a few days of graduation.
2: (laughs) Off goes the cap and gown, and on comes the the, the heels and the dress, and you're on stage. That's right.
6: (laughs) Actually, I was a lot more shy at that time. I think I wore, you know, big bulky turtlenecks and and (laughs) coats and that type of thing.
2: Uh, Now, (laughs) I, I I know at one point you were working. Are you still working at the Mayo Clinic?
6: Yes, I still work full-time at Mayo Clinic.
2: You still work full-time. That's what I thought. Uh, as most as most blues musicians do, you work full-time. Yeah. yeah,
6: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, let's check out check out another tune from the album all in. Uh, tell us about the song, Dreaming of Dying.
6: Well, that's one that, uh, as you were discussing, me possibly taking the stage and just playing the piano and singing, that's the song that came to mind, actually, because that's how this song was born. Uh, wow. Just in the quiet of my music room uh, sort of thinking about the quandary that I'm in at this time in my life of uh, having a day job and having this passion for blues music and it's something that I can't shake, you know, I don't want to shake it and that's just what this song's all about.
2: That's that's cool. Uh, Sina Earhart and Dreaming or Dying. (laughs)
4: I can't hold you
2: From the All In Album by Cena Earhart. Cena uh, is on vocals. Edward, her dad, is on lead guitar. Harold, Harold Smith is on rhythm guitar. Dave Smith on bass guitar. Steve Potts on drums. Uh, it was re- produced, recorded, and mixed by the amazing Jim Gaines at Betsy Blue Studios in Conch, Tennessee. Uh, executive producers Edward Chwalowski and Jerry Del Judas uh and mastered by blaze barton at joyride studios in chicago illinois uh just uh great packaging great album great music uh and it's on blind pig records There you go. yes
6: i'm uh very lucky to be a member of the blind pig records family and as you're naming all of those people that were involved in the record i just have to thank them all so much for all the work that they put into creating it
2: yeah um because it is a it is a it is a group effort uh, when you're doing something like that. Uh, you joined your dad's band, okay? You said it was uh, I thought it was Plan B, but you, you, it was uh, one of his other bands, right?
6: Well, the name of the band that I wanted to be in was called the Radio Cats, and okay. that band um, kind of disbanded, and that's where the name Plan B came from. Actually, oh, okay. was it was a couple members of the Radio Cats and uh, myself and then a new drummer. And unfortunately, the drummer from the Radio Cats has since passed away. But, um, yeah, that was Plan B, and we were together for about five years, and that was really where I cut my teeth as a live performer. And uh, we recorded two albums, an album of all covers and then an album of originals that my dad and I wrote. So that was fun as well, getting the chance to Write my own music and record it.
2: Where where did that come where from? Where, where where were you getting where were you getting your your story ideas at such a young age? Uh, uh yeah,
6: you know I'm an observer I guess. Um, they weren't all necessarily autobiographical stories. Mm-hmm. They were things sure. that I witnessed. Mm-hmm. And I think you know the blues is sort of a sensibility and it's an understanding. It's something that's very real and I just kind of drew upon experiences I was going through or friends or family were going through.
2: Yeah. Uh, and after five years, uh, it was time for you to do your own thing and uh, uh, get on get on with your musical career. And you, you grabbed Dad and said, let's go, join my band. <laughs> uh, pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working for you, now you come work for me. How about that, Dad? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, and uh the first album was called Leave the Light On. Uh and you guys recorded it and it and it was pretty much I mean it was totally mixed and then or uh, in the middle of mixing when uh uh Jerry W just came from my Pig and uh signed you. It was like sort of like waking up on Christmas morning, huh?
1: Yeah, I guess the
6: way that things transpired for us was very non traditional. Um I have a very good friend and mentor in Smoke and Joe Quebec who's a blues man out of Dallas.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, very well-known and amazing man and musician. And He took a liking to my dad and myself and has just been a, a friend of our family and spoke with Jerry from Blind Pig and said, you know, check this girl's YouTubes out because we had performed at some regional festivals and there were some pretty good quality YouTubes out there at that time and Jerry said, I want her cell phone number, and so Joe gave him my cell phone number, and we chatted a couple times, and he said, you know, I might surprise you sometime, and I just thought, oh, yeah, okay, we'll <laughs> see, and we played a set at this little bar in northeast Minneapolis called Shaw's. The place gave me my very first gig as the Cena Earhart Band, and they have been very supportive of many young blues artists coming up in, in Minneapolis. But mm-hmm. uh, I went off stage on my first break to visit with some friends who were at the show. It was a packed house and Jerry walked up to me and he said, I've seen all I need to see. <laughs> and he offered the deal that, that next day. So it was kind of a trip.
2: Yeah. I mean, because, you know, as, as anybody who's ever tried to do an album or has done an album knows, Getting the album done is a third of the third of the way. There's still two thirds after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Both financially and, and 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 in terms of you know overall uh, strength of character to get through that period of time and to to you know have have somebody like Blind Pig come in and say yeah okay we'll we'll take care of that for you, uh, right? You know it's like you know kind of makes everything feel so much so much lighter. Uh, and and it's a, when I was reading the story, I said, you know, it's just perfect sort of works. And that's how I got to see you because last year, um, you received a nomination as best debut artist in 2012 and you came and, uh, you did a, a set at the blues music awards. Um, talk about, um, learning about your nomination for that.
6: That was pretty cool. Um, you know, The folks at Blind Pig are very respectful of the fact that I have a day job, and so normally Jerry and I, if we need to speak about something, have a phone date at 530 when I get off work, (laughs) and he's, you know, very accommodating, and I kept seeing I was missing calls and missing calls and missing calls from the office, and I'm like, what the heck? So I checked my voicemail. I stepped out of my office and checked my voicemail, and it said, call immediately. So I called, and I spoke with my publicist, who is amazing, Deborah Rieger at Blind Pig, and she Mm -hmm. said, you're nominated for Best New Artist Debut, Blues Music Award 2012. And I just, I couldn't believe it, you know. I still can't believe all this, to be honest.
2: Oh, really? Why? Why do you say that?
6: I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's a kid from Minnesota, you know. I, I don't know. It's, um pretty cool to get to do all of this and have my dad in the band and um just releasing the second album i i'm looking back and saying did this really happen in the last couple of years
2: <laughs> It's it. it I, i'm sure it has been a whirlwind um you didn't win the bma but you did win uh basically the same award for blues Blast, blues blast magazine um uh that year so that uh, had to be uh gratifying in itself uh Yeah,
6: that was very kind. Um, That really meant a lot, you know, to be in that company. And um, I know everybody says it, but it's really true. To be nominated was an honor. And Mm -hmm. the fact that we got to perform at the Blues Music Awards among, you know, the people that I've admired and and grown up listening to was extremely humbling. Your last guest was mentioning Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Chris Layton. And, you know, I was... Chatting with them. Yeah. <laughs> it just was kind of a surreal experience and things like that have happened more and more frequently in the last year and I'm just very grateful.
2: No, uh, and it's kind of funny, I was I was thinking about it this year while I was standing you know at, when I was at the, at the BMAs. That the reception where the debut best debut artists play. Where you played. People pay more attention to the music there than they do upstairs.
6: I think so, because I think they're so nervous or, you know, just well, concerned yeah, about their own category you know. or something when they're in the actual award ceremony that they're just kicking back having a cocktail beforehand, and they really were all listening. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, upstairs in the beginning, you know, you're paying attention or something really special happens on stage. Um Uh, again, personal plug like this, uh, this year when Victor Wainwright sat down at the keyboard after having been named the Top Perkins winner, the room got as quiet as it had been all night, uh, with just him on the piano for six, eight minutes. I mean, he just, the first six minutes was pretty much, uh, it was all instrumental. He just went, went to town and then he.
6: Yeah, I'm so yeah, looks, proud of, of Victor, you know, uh, and and the guys uh, in Southern Hospitality. That's uh, just uh, an amazing record, and yeah. to see a young guy like him with so much passion. I got to meet Pine Top in Austin, Texas, shortly before he died, and man, he still had spunk. He was still playing. He, sure. he had socks that had you know piano keys on them and stuff. I'm like, man. There needs to be more young people like that. And I think that Victor and guys like Damon Fowler and, and Hayden in that group are really the future. Yeah, and they, they have that and passion. Yourself,
2: and yourself. Um okay. you know, and, and there's you know, there's a whole group right after you guys that are even younger than you guys that it, it's nice to see coming. Um I mentioned I said to Frank Frank Bang, my first guest before we went on the air, we were talking about Pine Top and I said, Yeah, I said when I first moved here to Memphis in late 2006, my first Memphis in May was 2007. And Friday night, I, w- I went to one stage, and on that stage was Derek Trucks band, Jerry Lee Lewis, Government Mule, Allman Brothers. And I oh was my god! Ten- <laughs> and I was 10 feet from the stage. 10 feet from the stage, and I've seen the Allman Brothers a ton of times. Uh, but that was just a special night. The next day, I was in the blues tent all day, and I saw uh, uh, Pine Top, Honey Boy Edwards, Hubert Sumlin. Um, and I'm gonna blank on a few other names, but those three were the top three. Oh, uh, 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 Charlie Musselwhite.
3: Oh, wow, There was like
2: two or three others that day. Um, it was just, uh, just like such a special day in the tent. And Honey Boy sat next to the stage and talked to every single person that wanted to talk to him after he got done. Uh, which was just, you know, to me it was like, wow, this is just. So cool! I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I moved to Memphis." You know, it hasn't yeah. all it hasn't all been that special, but that was certainly a welcome, <laughs> it was certainly a welcome party. Um, how much does the band uh, co- contribute to the creation of the songs that you and your dad write? How do the rest of the guys that come in and, and and add to the songs?
6: Yeah, well, um, you know, Dave Smith and Steve Potts and Harold Smith that you mentioned are studio cats out of the Memphis area. And so I was really lucky to have them on the record. They've recorded with such great artists, um, and they work very well with Jim Gaines. Uh, But my band is my dad and uh, Steve Hansen on bass, Tim Hassler on drums. And we recently added another guitar player, Cole Allen, on guitar, uh, another young guy that's just really got incredible talent. Also a great vocalist, and really adds a lot to our group.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, actually it was Steve uh, Hansen who was the first one that contacted me on Facebook right before you guys came to the BMAs and said, you know, definitely, you know, make sure you're there, make sure you check check us out because you know we've got a great band and everything. And I, I'm not sure exactly why it took me a, a year to get you booked, but. Uh, uh, uh,
6: <laughs> hey better things, late than never <laughs>
2: things, things, things happen is when i saw the second album i said okay yeah you missed the opportunity back then let's do it now uh so yeah it's it's pretty cool um have you talk about your songwriting uh, from your standpoint uh are you always working on songs
6: i think i am and you know it's really not formulaic it's it's um really free-flowing. Sometimes I'll think of a melody. Sometimes I'll think of a lyric. Sometimes I'll sit down and write a whole song front to back. Um, Other times, you know, my dad and I will collaborate on something. Cole and I have been working on a few things uh, most recently. And so that's what I really love about it is it's not something that's uh, really concrete. It's always moving and changing and um, even a song that I wrote three or four years ago, to revisit it now to look at some of those songs that I wrote with Plan B, uh, they mean something completely different now just because of the experiences I've had in my life.
2: Sure. Have you uh, ever written a song based on something you heard over overheard in public, you know, a conversation you weren't supposed to hear?
6: I can't say. Oh, no. Uh, Possibly. Yeah,
2: yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a yes, folks. Uh, (laughs) What's the best part of touring around and playing the blues?
6: I think just connecting with people. You know, there's such a reciprocity in the blues with the audience. And it's it's not this, you know, sit quietly in your chair and watch the music and, and don't say anything. You know, people are up out of their seats, they're up by the stage, you're sweating on them, they're, you know, hooting and hollering. And, and that's what I love about it is whatever it may be, whatever that emotion is, it's connecting with the people. And I think there's a really strong misconception among people who are not blues lovers, that blues is this sad, depressing music. And I've never seen people have more fun in my life than at some of these blues festivals.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, What's the worst part?
6: I don't know. You know, I can't really complain about anything, to be honest. Um, It's really a blessing to get to do this. Um, I would say just kind of managing time and, and not getting too run down is the challenge that any of us, we all have that
2: yeah but it's uh, it's certainly a little bit more difficult how how do you how do you work this out with with your job um you know in terms of being able to especially coming up to festival season do you do you limit yourself to a certain distance uh from home
6: no you know i'm really not uh doing much limiting of of things with bookings i have a great booking agent um at arm entertainment who is conscientious with getting me the booking information far enough in advance where I can work it out with my schedule. Mm-hmm. And I have a really supportive staff at my job um, that helps helps me out and covers, and I'm frugal with using my time off. I would say I haven't really taken a real vacation day in a few years, mm-hmm. but to get to do this is worth it for sure.
2: Is there a, is there a plan? Is there a, uh, a thought? and I plan to uh be able to get to a point where there's only one thing you have to do in your life?
6: Absolutely. You know, that's the ultimate goal for sure. Um and I'd like to see that happen sooner rather than later. I'm definitely. sure
2: um I, I I struggled with this question, but I'm gonna ask it. You know, you've got a show like The Voice now on T V that's based upon the premise that it's about the voice and not about the looks. Um have you run into that she's too good for, too good-looking-to-be-that-good frame of mind?
6: Oh, boy. I don't even know how to answer that. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think, you know, any woman that's in the blues world has an obstacle to overcome just in that. Um, And to be a younger woman and and sort of in the position that I'm in is um, a challenge and it's a blessing, too. You know, um, some people may not take me as seriously but i would just encourage them to come out to a show or buy a record and and just listen to it and i think a lot of that sort of goes away when it becomes more about the music
2: Uh, I, i yeah and i'm certainly you know i certainly agree with you i think it's you know to be able to just hear the music that's and it's sort of why that show sort of is a Kind of has a decent premise to it, um, because whether it's too good looking or not good looking enough, it should be about the voice, and stage presence uh, becomes something different when uh, the person who's performing is giving a brilliant performance.
6: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean as a little girl listening to someone like uh, Solomon Burke or Etta James, you know, I had no concept in my mind because there weren't things like YouTube and things like mm-hmm. that. I didn't sure. know what they looked like. I just knew what those songs meant to me. And, you know, as I got a little older and started looking at album covers, I mean, I was the nerdy kid that studied the liner notes of vinyl albums and looked at who the, Second saxophone player was on, you know, BB B. King records and things like that. But um I got that's way a, into it, that does and got
2: nerd. i uh, <laughs> not make you a nerd. <laughs>
6: well, you know, I'm, I, I'm just saying, you know, as a little kid yeah. singing along with the Kinsey Report, Poor Man's Relief. I had no idea what those guys looked like. I imagined yeah. what they yeah. looked like, but I knew I, I loved that song, and I knew I could sing along with it.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, When you're not working, um, well, you said you really don't have a lot of time to relax and enjoy. Do do you have a a hobby that helps you decompress from it all? Uh,
6: Writing. I guess that's that's not really escaping it, but it's something that is so much fun, and I can just kind of lose three or four hours if I have an idea going, writing music and on a night off i absolutely love going out and seeing live music um just seeing what the crowds are responding to what's working what's not working and you know i i'm inspired by seeing a really tight band that is on their game
2: yeah no absolutely yeah it's just live music very important um is there a shoe fetish
6: oh my god vinny okay. Yeah, I have a two-bedroom apartment, and one bedroom is for sleeping, and the other bedroom is for my shoes. It's embarrassing. It's so
2: okay. bad. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm an admirer of female shoes because I think the female, <laughs> the female leg to me is the is an art form. Um, I'm not, you know, other, guys have other have other, you know, things about women. I, I'm a leg guy. I'm sorry, but uh, no, just nice pair of shoes. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just, it's, you know, I, I, it's evident you enjoy them. Um, I do. <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you looking forward to this summer?
6: Wow, you know, that's uh, everything. Honestly, this Friday I'm going down to play a show with my band at the Emporia Granada Theater in Kansas.
3: Right.
6: And Essie Taylor is going to be on that bill with me, so that'll be really fun to have another, you know, girl out there, girl power, in the blues. Um <laughs> We've got two dates opening for the legendary B.B. King in the month of May, which is just a dream come true for me um, and my whole band.
2: Yeah, this Saturday okay. at the so, Mayo Clinic, right?
6: Well, yep, Mayo Civic Auditorium, and then in right. Dubuque, yeah. Iowa. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And in June, we're headed to the Blues from the Top Festival in Colorado, and we have Reese Winans, uh playing keyboards with us at that event. Oh, so right.
2: I can't even choose one thing. There's so many fun things coming up. That's wonderful. Things, things are, you know, things are going straight ahead for you, and uh, deservedly so. Uh, all things Sina Earhart can be found at www. s e n a e h r h a r d t. dot com, and you can also find her on Facebook. Uh, one last song from the album. Uh, talk to us about storms coming.
6: Storms Come In um is actually a song that we're gonna be filming a music video for. We released a video for the song Buried Alive, which is the first track off of the C D, but we're doing a video for this song coming up here in early June and the song kind of explores a toxic relationship and alcoholism and addiction and the different things that come with that. So it's a bit heavier in terms of the material and uh just kind of what people will endure. In the name of love or what they think is love.
2: Excellent. Sina, thank you so much. I hope to see you guys Memphis this way soon. Uh, you know, come on back down.
6: Uh, oh, we'd love to. There's a piece of my heart there, I tell you what. So thank you so much for having me on. You know, I've listened to your show uh, many, many times and it's oh. an honor to be on.
2: Oh, thank you so much. The album is all in. Sina Earhart, uh, it's on Blind Pig Records. You can go check it out and check out our website. This is uh, the song Storms Coming.
6: I'm from the wilderness of Canada, and you are listening to Music on the Couch with Vinnie Bon Marini.
2: This segment of Music on the Couch is sponsored by the Hitman Blues Band. Formed in 1986 by Russell Hitman Alexander, the band lives the blues and shares their talents with audiences around the globe. Their latest album, Blues Enough, is a collection of 11 songs that deliver boogie, funk, swing, and rock blues. Check out All thing Hitman Blues Band at their website, www.hitmanbluesband.com. And to get a free nine-song sampler, simply sign up for their newsletter at www.hitmanbluesband.net. To get this 9-song sampler, go sign up for the bluesband.net. Check out all things about them in their schedule at hitmanbluesband.com. Back in June 12, uh, 2012, my next guest joined me, and uh, his appearance was extremely popular. Uh, he has a new music out, and he's kind enough to bring it back to the couch. Uh, the album is entitled Beautiful Pain, and it was uh, released on April 30th. Uh, this is the title track, Beautiful Pain, from Keaton
4: Simmons. Why's it gotta be so hard? Why's it gotta be this way? It's like I'm being torn apart by all this beautiful pain I know you wanna be with me But you gotta go with him Through the misery You sleep before you learn to swim And I shudder in my sleep I can hardly close my eyes and Then I wake up in a dream Free out from a life of compromise where well, you never loved, but you never won You never fought and you never moved on You never loved, but you never won you never fought and you never moved on Don't be afraid of looking back Everybody has a past. So now you've got my patient It a you days and I want to be patient So this doesn't fade away If you're gonna save a life Maybe it should be your own Cause baby we don't have much time Before we go stumbling home And I know that we just met What I never understood How can something be that bad When it feels this good And I shudder in my sleep I can hardly close my
3: eyes
4: And then I wake up in a dream Free now from a life of compromise Oh, you never lost, you never won You never fought and you never moved on You never lost, you never won Never moves on Don't be afraid of looking back mm-hmm. Everybody has a past So now you got my patience In just a few days And I want to be patient So this doesn't fade away No, so this doesn't fade away no, so this doesn't fade away. You never lost, but you never won. You never fought and you never moved on. You never lost, but you never won. You never fought and you never moved on. You never lost, but you never won. You never fought and you never moved on. Never lost, but you never won You never fought and you never moved on never Don't on. be afraid of looking back. And, on. On. Everybody everybody back and you never moved on, on. Never Everybody has a bad Never back. fought and you never moved yeah. on Don't be afraid of looking back mm. For everybody My heart's is just days That I want to be patient So this doesn't fade away My It just days That I want to be patient So this doesn't fade away Why's it gotta be so hard? Why's it gotta be this way? It's like I'm being torn apart all this beautiful pain. Keaton Simmons.
2: Title track from Beautiful Pain. And he joins us. Uh, Keaton, hey, how are you doing, bro? What's
0: up, man? How are you? I'm, I must correct you. It's Simons. Simons. That's okay. You know, and I I all I, the time. I about,
2: and I thought about it today, and I said to myself, make sure you don't do it again, because you do it right.
0: <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> It Sorry. just brings us closer together. There you go. There you go. I'm just it's like
2: so all So good other, to be back, man. I'm so glad to have you back.
0: So what have you been up to for the last 11 months? Oh, the last 11 months. You know, a little of this, a little of that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's been the last 11 month, Months have been amazing. I've been doing a tremendous amount to set up for the release of this album, and then it just came out a few weeks ago, and it's been even crazier since then. So, so much awesome stuff.
2: You've been. Uh specifically working on the album been out uh, playing a lot
0: i've been out playing a lot i've been doing a lot of radio promo um the uh, beautiful pain has been the single and it's been getting some some nice love on the radio and so i've been just jet-setting around from station to station hanging out and getting to know people and you know playing in the song and trying to spread the love
2: where uh, let me ask you a question where is it getting played on the commercial radio
0: um. Oh God. I. Uh, uh. The list is long.
2: No, paying, uh, hey, I, I Let me. Let me. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. What uh, genre? What? Uh, oh,
0: tr- triple yeah. A mostly, a little okay. bit of hot AC. Okay.
2: Okay. Um,
0: yeah. Mostly triple A, a little hot AC. I've got a, a big uh, station in Denver, Alice out there. Just mm-hmm. did a show for those guys for the station. Um. With. Matt Hires, Vicky Martinez, and Lifehouse, and it was amazingly fun, and they've been spinning the tune a bunch on that station. That's our first hot AC station, so I'm really excited.
2: That's very, very cool. Let's uh, let's uh, just jump right to another one. Uh, tell us about Is There Any Other Way.
0: Well, that's a great one. Is There Any Other Way is a song that I wrote with my good friend Jason Mraz one late, late night, and uh, we went all the way with it, and I love this song.
2: There it is. Keaton Simons from... Uh beautiful pain
0: And is there any other
2: way?
4: How does it feel now that you call yourself a man? Do you remember how to let go like a child? Ready or not, I never thought I would be so much like my father, he always told me I should keep an open mind, and how does it feel when you're alone, how do you see yourself when no one's there to see you, how will you know what to write right on wrong now that the How does it feel now that you call yourself a woman, was there a moment when you left that girl behind? And what was it like late in the night? Did you think your life was over? Or were you only getting closer to the truth? And how does it feel when you're alone? How do you see yourself when no one's there to see you? How will you know what's right or wrong? Believe it's happening
2: Beautiful Pain album. Uh, let's see. Um, you played all the instruments on the album except for the drums. Pretty much. Uh, I had a yes. Yep. I had a
0: couple of of, of special guests. Yeah. My buddy yep. Zach Ray, who's a total bad mofo, um, came in and played some keys and stuff. I did have my friend Alex Al, who played with Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Herbie Hancock. He played bass on one of the tunes, mm-hmm. but I love playing bass, so I played bass on on the on the rest of it. But yes, yeah, mostly it's mostly Lenny Castro,
2: Lenny Castro on percussion, Tyler,
0: That's Tyler right.
2: Hilton on piano and some vocals.
3: That's uh, and right. The
2: power powers, Bill Churchill, trumpet and trombone, and Sean Hill on saxophone. And on drums, uh, Robin DiMaggio, uh, That's the, right. United Nations musical director. Um,
0: he is, among
2: other things. He yeah, among so other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Al, where would we record it?
0: I recorded it at Revolver Studios. I produced it with Michael Blue, who is brilliant, and uh, it's his studio, gorgeous, gorgeous recording studio.
2: Where is Revolver?
0: Say again? Where is it? Oh, it's in Thousand Oaks, California. Thousand
2: Oaks, okay. I I, I thought it was in the L.A. area, but I wasn't sure.
0: Totally. Um, Yeah,
2: okay, cool. Um, So what's what's next on the PR uh, schedule once you get done with all of us? crazy radio stations, I mean, what's the touring schedule look like coming up for the summer?
0: Right now, I've I've just got some spot dates booked. I've got some really cool ones on the East Coast and some stuff on the Southeast. I'm doing a couple of shows with um, my buddies Jason Castro and Ryan Cabrera in uh, New Jersey and New York in the middle of June. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm playing on this Wednesday night. I'm doing my East Coast CD release show at the Bitter End in New York City. I'm actually in New York on the Lower East Side right now as we speak.
2: Okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I actually did see that. And then, like, the next day you're back on the West Coast. Um,
0: well, yeah, I'm yeah, so pretty close to it. it. Yeah. On the ninth a couple days later, a couple
2: do it. days there. Yeah, yeah, we totally. did around on the 15th, 19th. Okay, then it's our walking. Auction, yes. uh, auction. Then the 24th in Malibu, uh, at uh, drawing right. on the but, moon festival.
0: Yes, I think that I think we actually play on the 25th, and that's a really cool festival too. Um, okay. Drawing on the moon. It's in Malibu. It's going to be beautiful. Come check it out.
2: Check your website. It says the twenty fourth. That's okay. Uh, you know, no, I know.
0: No, I, that's, that's okay. my bad. We just found out okay. details today. <laughs> it's a hippie festival, you know. You find out the details <laughs> later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I'm just. I'm gonna be there. Just you know, figure it out.
2: Go, go look at the schedule on their site. They'll tell you. Um totally. uh, How long were you in the studio? for? How? Uh, say that
0: again.
2: How long were you in the studio? Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Uh, I was in, yeah, sorry about that. Okay. I was in the studio um, for for just a, a couple of months. You know, um, we did a lot of, of prep and I did a lot of writing specifically for this record. And in that way, it's it's different from uh, from my last record, Can You Hear Me?, which was kind of, you know, with some songs that had been written near when the album was recorded, but a lot of them had been written over the 10 years before that. And mm-hmm. this one... Um, Although some of the songs were already written when I met with Michael Blue and decided, let's do this. Um, we kind of, you know, right. As soon as we made that decision, we blocked out a few weeks and I just wrote and wrote and wrote with a bunch of amazing people. And, and that's the
1: album that you hear
0: for the most part.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's really a great, yeah, I, I got it. Obviously I got it through download just So we had it for the show. I'm looking forward yeah. to the packaging to see, to see everything uh, that goes along with it. Um, where where is your uh I'm just looking back when you're uh, gonna be moving back into the west east coast. I'm just checking it out. Uh Devil I'll be Hill. Back. Oh, you're gonna be you're gonna be on, on the
0: outer banks
2: uh on yes. June eighth. Uh, June seventh, sixth, seventh and eighth. Uh that's the guy, that'll be cool. That's
0: right. Before before that, I'm playing one of my favorite places in uh, Vienna, Virginia, just outside of DC. Jam and Java, I believe that's on June second. Correct. Then, yeah, the the uh, the down the hatch festival. Pat McGee, one of my closest friends, puts on this festival every year. It's incredible. It's beautiful. Tons of amazing musicians. I can't recommend it higher. Um, spend a couple of days on the beach, hanging out, singing songs, playing music. Great shows at night, great shows during the day. It's 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 really fun. It's totally worth yeah. yeah, it. I've,
2: I've actually stayed in Kill Devil Hills, uh, but never when the festival was going on, obviously. And then June 9th in neck and uh, June 10th at uh, the studio at Webster Hall. So uh, you can That's check that, Can check all that thing, all that stuff out At KeatonSimons.com K e a t o n s-i-m-o-n-s I I want to just mention right now uh, next week uh, I'm going to bring a wonderful vocalist from Texas, Miss Hilda Lamas Uh, also guitarist Patrick McLaughlin joins me Uh, R.B. Stone finally gets to sit on the couch uh, and he's bringing his brand spanking new album, he actually handed it to me at the BMAs the other night Uh, and past couch kid Isaiah B. Brunt uh, will be calling from the future as we like to say, he'll be calling us on Tuesday in Australia uh, when it's still Monday night here in the United States, uh, and we're going to be talking about his new music uh, It's next Monday, May 20th at 9 p.m. Central. Uh, all the shows are archived at musiconthecouch.com. You can go and you can find Keaton's uh, last uh, uh, appearances, uh where we actually dealt with his whole entire life and got a lot more specific. Uh, it's there along with all of the others. Uh, and you can join the artists and companies who have found uh, the music on the couch. Sponsor package uh, is uh, worth their worth their thought process, and it does come with our exclusive guarantee. Uh, Keaton, uh, if yeah. I let you play DJ and I said pick one song off the album, which oh, would you boy.
0: play? That boy, Bella Vita. That's so tough. You know which one I'm really loving right now. Okay. Um, it's called Read My Mind.
2: Got it. Okay. Okay.
0: Check it out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um thanks so much. You know, thanks for just yeah, coming and, You and know, spending a little time with us. Uh I, you know, I really I, I really enjoy this part of the show each week cuz I get to catch up with with my couch kids and uh absolutely. find find out what they're doing and uh if you check out uh, music on the and scroll down and find the uh slideshow, which is going to be changing slightly, folks. Uh, that whole template that I used before is no longer available to me, and I have a bunch of images I have to add. But Keaton's got a cool uh, shot with a lot of guitars behind him. How many are we up to yeah. now?
0: Oh, I don't even know. I've, I've lost count. <laughs> That's scary. When they say I don't <laughs> I know.
2: even know, I've had people tell me, oh, thirty-two. Oh, well, yeah, I've never, I've
0: sisters. never sold, I've never sold one or gotten rid of one. That's the problem. It's not that I'm constantly acquiring new guitars. It's just that I've had a lot for a long time, and I never get <laughs> rid of anything. <laughs>
2: Uh, but when you go on the road, how many?
0: When I go on the road, I I bring. If I have a full band, I bring two: an acoustic and an electric. That's, That's, it. It.
2: That's
3: I it. I don't. It.
0: It's so funny. I don't travel with a bunch of guitars. Sometimes I'll bring a backup, but it's so funny. For someone who has as many guitars as me, I travel with very few. Right now, I'm in New York with one acoustic guitar.
2: And uh, Bitter End this week, if you're in the New York area, you get to see the CD release party uh, down yes, there. Robin
0: DiMaggio will be there playing with me. It's going to be awesome, full band. I'm playing electric guitar, just not, my, not one I brought from home. <laughs> I'm playing a buddy's guitar. But that's going to be so great. Come out to Bitter End on Wednesday. It's going to be so much fun. 9 p.m.
2: Keaton Simon, thanks so much. Appreciate of you. Of course. Thank good. you. And uh us stay in touch. We'll see you soon, and uh, you know, come down to Memphis. You know, come down, uh, have them I would, have them you down toward uh, you know.
0: I know. I would love blues. to. I really. I haven't been there in in way too long, and I love Memphis because you know I'm a, such a blues dude. Yeah.
2: yeah, yep, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, hopefully we can do that. Absolutely. And we'll see you next Monday, everyone. Uh, this is Keaton Simons and Read My Mind. <laughs>